Broadcasting live from a high-security prison, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my screaming lambs, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. In this episode, we're continuing our cannibalism horror theme and talking about the multiple Academy Award-winning 1991 thriller, The Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Den. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In The Silence of the Lambs, a young FBI trainee, Clarice Starling, is asked to interview an infamous cannibalistic serial killer named Hannibal Lecter in a high-security facility. Unbeknownst to her, but discovered eventually, Clarice has been sent to talk to Hannibal to glean information about a new serial killer nicknamed Buffalo Bill, who is known for capturing, murdering, and skinning his female victims. Hannibal has an eerie way of reading Clarice, and she him. As Hannibal manipulates and advises Clarice, she gets closer and closer to cracking the Buffalo Bill case. She must work against the clock to solve it before Bill can kill his new victim, the Tennessee Senator's only daughter. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. I think that this film has a mandala effect. I distinctly remember it being just called Silence of the Lambs, not The Silence of the Lambs. And I don't know when the hell they added the the, but I'm convinced that it wasn't there. People always say that also about the hello Clarice line. Well, to be fair, I don't get that one because I always thought it was good evening Clarice. As in people remember there being a line of him greeting her and saying hello Clarice. It might have been in the trailer, because I feel like sometimes they put stuff in the trailer that's not in the real movie, and that's why people remember it wrong. I also think this film sparked my fear of, like, butterflies and moths, because, like, I like them in gardens, don't get me wrong, I don't hate joy, but I'm deeply afraid when they approach me. Like, if they come too close, I will swat. Like, it's just instinctive. <laughs> swat. And I think it might be down to this film, because it makes such a horror out of like insects and moths and stuff i feel like they're not the worst part of this film though yeah it's definitely anything having to do with skin skinning open skin skin off of things you're correct maybe i focus on the wrong thing the monstrous feminine is on twitter so please tweet us if you do engage with our content you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our witch of the week this episode, our witch of the week, is Crepuscolol, who tweeted, Hello, I just discovered your podcast and I've been binging episodes through the holidays. My favourites so far are the excellent It and Body Horror episodes, but they've all been great. Black heart emoji. That's very sweet, and I'm very happy that people binge us through the holidays. Every time people say they binge our episodes, I'm like, that blows my mind. I have to say, the Body Horror episode is actually one of my favourites as well, so you have excellent taste. And this is kind of another body horror episode. We did raw in that episode, and this is now circling back to cannibalism. But thank you so much for binging us, for using us as a way to escape your family during the holidays. You can do it again this year. Yeah, please binge us for this holiday season. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion for our main episodes. And for £5 a month, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. So this film won the Big Five Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Director, 
Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, and it was also nominated for the Best Sound and Best Film Editing. It was the fifth highest grossing film of 1991. I think it might be the most like critically acclaimed horror film that exists. But is it a horror film? I think it's a horror film. I, I'll have none of this snobbery. I think it is. If we didn't see any gore, I would be like, it's a thriller. But that we see quite a bit, not quite a bit, but it's it's just because it's restrained, I feel like it doesn't mean it's not a horror. I feel like especially the scenes with Hannibal locked up and like kind of knowing that he could get you at any point. It is thrillery if we never saw it, if it was just implied. I think it's just for the categorization of the Academy because they would not give a horror movie all the awards that it got. I'm projecting because I have a bone to pick with people snubbing, like not considering anything that could be a horror for the like awards. Like for example, according to IMBD, Fangoria magazine was declined the chance to cover this movie because Orion Pictures and the filmmakers felt that the magazine's focus on the horror genre would stigmatize its award season chances. I mean, they are correct. That would ruin their chances. Do you not want to read out all these accolades? I want to read the accolades. I think Hannibal is a delicious villain. One of my favorites. Like we also talk about the Babadook. But I think Cannibal's up there. Another queer-coded villain. And I only mean that because of his iconic one-liner, love your suit. It's the, like, delayed satisfaction of it where he's like, and one more thing, love your suit. He does have a little, like, camp delivery with these things. I think there is a fine line between camp and posh Englishmen. I will give you that. But for the purposes of him, if I were to say he's a straight man who is sexually attracted to women it completely changes my reading of his interactions with Clarice he's not attracted to women he's not attracted to Clarice I think if he was I would view him as a lot less rational person I think he is I mean he's insane of course he's a cannibal but I think he's got his mind's all together right like he might lie and he might mislead people but he's his inner world is not that of a person who doesn't have all their facilities who doesn't know what's going on or is like just doing shit to do shit he's so calculated and so calm that to me i'm like he cannot be that together and have any kind of sexual attraction towards anybody that sort of distraction what do you mean that we're all just horny and crazy I'm saying that, like, for the FBI to believe that all they had to do was send a woman down there and that would, would break him and, like, cause him to help everybody all of a sudden and that they're like, oh, he hasn't seen a woman in eight okay, years. Right. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't care he hasn't seen a woman in eight years. You're, you're comparing him to other men or yourself. But he is queer-coded in that way. That he knows what a fine Chianti in a nice suit is is just the cherry on top. <laughs> Stop. Wait, do you read him as like asexual then? Yes. If it was a movie where gender was not a factor, I would be like, yeah, he's asexual and it doesn't matter. But in this case, it matters because they tried to use a woman as a tool. He's not sexually attracted to Clarice in the way that people expected him to be is more an indicator of their own sexism, their own objectification of women, because they're looking at Clarice who's dressed down. Like, yeah, she's got a little bit of makeup on, but she's certainly not like showing off the goods. This was the 90s. So honestly, we're very lucky that we didn't get her in like a skin tight dress and heels with like a, a fierce blowout. It was part of her character, like lesbian or not. She was just a woman surrounded by men all the time. <laughs> Stop. 
lesbian or not. Why she say it like She's that? getting unwanted advances we see throughout the movie all the time. So I felt like even Hannibal knows why she was sent there and maybe finds it even a little bit funny that they're like, oh, you thought a woman would change things? And he's using that to his own end. But I thought that it was more like an inversion of like the men that she works with also being more of a danger to her than the actual serial killer who was actually promised not to hurt her. That's interesting. I'm kind of, I'm just kind of chewing on that point. Um, Because I do agree with you that like Hannibal would like intellectualize something as like he would view it as like rudimentary as she says he would view it as rude if he were to come after her and kill her or like do anything to her that's what Clarice says I think he views himself as like intellectually above sexual attraction but I don't necessarily know if he quite escapes it I do think there is a little bit of like a perversion to some of the stuff he does harass her he like asked if she was abused and like wanted to know intimate details of her life in that way but I think that's more like a psychological warfare than sexual perversion. I think his perversion comes in eating people. <laughs> Probably. He mentions like, oh, are you and Crawford like fucking? When he's talking to the mum of the the, sen- the state senator about her missing daughter, he says like, do your nipples get hard? Like, because you, you miss her you can eat when she's in pain or something. He says something like, don't you feel eyes moving over your body, Clarice? I'm not sure what, I can't quite pin down like what I think his psychose if he has any psychosexual motivations. I thought the mother point was a bit interesting, a little bit of like a, a Freudian thing, inevitably, whenever you're like discussing that kind of stuff. But I do think you're right in that, like now that you're saying that it might be, like you said, Mila, a psychological warfare, or like you said, Zeba, where he knows that she's overly sexualized. He knows that they've sent her in because they themselves sexualize her. And he's just like, getting in her head by playing on that so maybe that is useful because I didn't view him as entirely like devoid of sexual impulses necessarily but um I do think now I'm thinking I'm more convinced by like the intellectualizing asexual reading of Hannibal he also like likes people to be afraid of him he likes to intimidate people and when he's locked up that's one of the only ways that he can do it at least to women is to make them feel like sexually uncomfortable so I don't think it's like for his own pleasure it's just like how can I intimidate you in a situation where like sometimes he's literally in a straight jacket he's literally all he can do is use his words so he uses his words to incite fear in women or anybody else really but also enacts power in the only way he can or he's behaving how he might think that a psycho might like performing the role like maybe that's what he's doing with the mother clarice even says like he says something inappropriate to her and she's like oh that's what the guy who like throws his cum at her would say to make him feel like lesser than like he does not view himself as the same echelon as the other killers in that row he's like more intelligent he wouldn't succumb to his baser impulses the way that they do like his crime is you know like like you said intelligent he manipulates people and that is how he gets away with things why he eats people i don't know i don't think the compelling part of this film is why he eats people but I think it is very true to how he is presented as someone entirely in control of his situation and I feel like maybe where he might lack any sort of like psychosexual motivations in a very overt sense to make advances on women or men I feel like consuming flesh in itself is something that could be aligned with something very psychosexual like an act of sexual power Honestly, I'm just glad that we have him as a cannibal so that we have the iconic line being, I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Reason enough. 
I mean, it is kind of classy that he doesn't, I mean, sometimes he'll just like literally eat your face off, but it's kind of classy. He like seasons it up. He makes it a little, a roast dinner with it. In the TV series, they do like make it like, like such culinary skill. Like, so it is a kind of like bougie way. In fact, in a lot of cannibal horror, I feel like they always talk about like ways you can prepare the meat and it's always like really high art, highbrow. I guess I'm just wondering, like, and Clarice even asked him this, like, why have you not analyzed yourself, like, to Hannibal? She's like, you do such a good job of, do- of creating these profiles of everybody else, and how their childhood affects X, Y, and Z, and you never turn that inwards and self-pathologize in any way. Um, and then we also, as the audience, don't get the satisfaction of, at least in this movie, knowing why he is the way that he is. Because he's if he's not going to diagnose himself, nobody is smarter than him to be able to do it. Yeah, I feel like they try to generate a lot of the horror from, in a sense, by not having an origin story. It's this sort of like inescapable, unpredictable evil and psychopathy. And he's so powerful. He can escape. Like he's like Houdini. He can get out of chains and with just a pen and he can use his words to convince you to let him go. Or like it makes him seem all powerful. Like you never know what he's capable of and it's almost assumed that if he isn't killing you or if bad stuff isn't happening it's because it's his choice yeah i feel like also it's just so disturbing how it's almost quite a funny characterization that he's this like refined polished gentleman who's also like a very renowned psychiatrist it just almost seems like oh and by the way he's a cannibal it's such like a secondary trait of his in the way they present it his ability to remain, like you said, Zeba, like somewhat in control of his faculties. He's still a lead authority on diagnosing people exactly like him, which is a really cool setup in itself. It's a great character. I feel like if you compare that to the cannibals of like um, the Hills of Eyes, the savagery within that, it's such an interesting like comparison to like, how we wrap up cannibalism and like the characterization of it because some people they might watch like Science of the Lambs and be a little bit enticed by Hannibal Lecter and also less likely to like attack his morality as they are the the cannibal family in The Hills of Eyes intellectualizing it in his like characterization I don't know is it more disturbing or is it Ebony savage sort of out of control animalistic type cannibalism i mean it's also motivated by nothing like we we know he's killed people we know he's killed people we know he's killed patients we know he's killed nurses we know he's killed like people who are supposed to be in charge of watching him just because he can't i think that's what's scary about it it's a different fear and it's different villain and i do think it's the kinds of villains people ironically or not really idolize I think you're kind of touching on a class commentary. Like the people we see in Hills of Eyes are like outcasts in society. Hannibal was like, like he was a therapist, like he was a doctor, like he's someone in a high profession. It's like a failing of our society that we do think that people in like high power positions can't be sociopathic or psychopathic. In fact, a lot of like what surgeons are proven to have, like a lot of them can be like psychopathic tendencies, right? To be able to do the job. Not all, but that's a generalization. 
it's people overlooking the potential for like violence or like crime in people in those high powered positions so I think like yeah you're right he is he is like this kind of posh like gentleman like figure and he he doesn't catch as much flack like he is more idolized in like media pop culture partly because they do give him like iconic one-liners like let's let's be real in fact one of the things he does with Clarice is he instantly brings up her class right like he's like you're not one generation from poor white trash are you agent starling he is like a different villain just in the sense of like his station in society as well like he does command respect because of that way and they need him like if they just let him if they didn't need him and they could just leave him in jail to rot like he wouldn't be as compelling at all and like you said like yeah cannibalism it's so interesting to see cannibalism not associated with savagery but actually like this posh gentleman likey figure I don't know, like, his class growing up. Oh, he's, like, nobility. Okay, well, there we go. So I think, regardless of that context, you still know by his profession that he's, like, in a higher position and he uses that, he wields that power. But you're right, the horror is not from the cannibalism. The horror is just from how he reads people. And we don't see it at all in this. We see him bite a face, but we don't see any cannibalism out and out. Honestly, I think sometimes it's better to do it that way because when you show it, it just completely like the expectation that you build up in your mind can never really match what's what's actually going to be shown. Our minds are very creative. Yeah, that's true. It's it's like that Jaws effect. Like it was more, it's scarier to show someone being pulled under than it is to show the shark. So Zeba, you mentioned in the group chat, our private and exclusive super secret group chat, wow. that this film acted as like a queer awakening of a kind for you. And I want to know why. I know why it was a queer awakening for me because of Jodie Foster and lesbianism. And I rewatched this again and I was like, ah, yes, there's a reason why I was, I loved this film <laughs> and do love it. And it is because of her radiant queer energy, similar feelings towards Twilight and Kristen Stewart, like very different genres and very different like levels of like performance. So I want to hear about how it gave you a second kind of queer awakening. Let me reframe this a little bit, because this is the first time I watched this movie actively thinking about gender, which is maybe dumb of me, but maybe not, because the first times I watched it, I was a child and a teenager, and now I'm grown. So perhaps it's just like looking at it with retrospect, but it did make me have some serious thoughts about like femininity and womanhood and the performance of gender, and specifically with Buffalo Bill's character. Which, if you ask street saying, it's transphobia. That it's, you know, that Silence of the Lambs is like one of the most transphobic movies. And I, I'm i not going to fight those people. I think definitely 100% Buffalo Bill as a character has contributed so much harm towards like the trans community, towards the queer community, towards gay men, towards women. Like as a character, it did not land. But... Watching this in 2022 with my big gendered brain, I, my Judith Butler brain, I was compelled to ask myself and others, other people who identify as trans, other people who, you know, are on different parts of the gender spectrum, is Buffalo Bill a trans woman character? And almost resoundingly, everybody was like, "Mm, maybe genderqueer or maybe nowadays would be a non-binary character that's also the conclusion I came to watching it this go around but when I'm analyzing this and 
I'm going to use all pronouns for Bill as I find appropriate in different cases because the movie is also asking us to view that character as not a trans woman because Hannibal Lecter is considered the authority, although albeit an unreliable character. Hannibal has diagnosed Bill as not trans, but having some sort of other pathology that has to do with wanting to transform, but not necessarily like identifying as a woman. And I think that a lot of people's beef with the movie is that the character of Buffalo Bill went to multiple doctors claiming to be a trans woman and was denied gender affirming surgery. And that that is the thing that caused them to start killing women and taking their skin and basically being like, if I cannot get a gender affirming surgery, then I will become a woman by whatever means possible. And I'm going to, (laughs) you know, get women that are my size and make this skin suit and become a woman that way. And basically Hannibal is saying that whatever that impulse is, is not the impulse of a trans woman, which we can look at as almost progressive in 1991, that they wanted to make that distinction between like this serial killer, not a trans woman. And they even say that like trans people are not historically violent, which is like an interesting thing to want to include in there. That exact quote, Clarice says, there's no correlation in literature between, and she's using the wrong language, so I'll say transgender, between transgenderism and violence. Transgender people are very passive. And Hannibal says, clever girl. And then he says, Billy is not a real trans woman, but he thinks he is. He tries to be. He tried to be a lot of things, I expect. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy had applied for sexual assignment surgeries at one or all of them and been rejected. And then Clarice says, on what basis would they reject him? And Hannibal says, look for severe childhood disturbances associated with violence. Our Billy wasn't born a criminal Clarice. He was made one through years of systematic abuse. Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transgender woman. But his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. Like I said, they use an outdated term. I don't even know if I have like beef with that diagnosis, but I think what the movie is trying to suggest, and then like within the movie, the like medical community that is denying this surgery is suggesting is that these doctors are not going to give a surgery to a person who is insane. And being insane is separate from being trans and that those things are distinct and so this is not transphobic because this is not a trans character that being said the character in the interpretation of the movie is a gay man perhaps is a man who hates women because that's a theme throughout the movie is how much it sucks to be a woman who would want to be a woman and that leads to perhaps the pathology of like you would be insane to want to be a woman and so what he is suffering from is an insanity of self-hatred and they're also trying to make the point that like trans people don't necessarily hate themselves so he cannot go up to a doctor and say i hate who i am i hate myself i must be a woman none of those doctors are buying it so i think it's almost like there's two different movies happening at the same time. There's Clarice and everything that Clarice is going through as a cis woman, which sucks. Like it sucks to have her job and be in the position that she's in, but she wants to be in the FBI and she there's like certain things that she has to put up with. And it's just constant micro and macro aggressions all throughout the film. She's constantly getting sexually harassed. She's constantly being undermined and not taken seriously in her profession, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got this, I'm doing air bunnies like quote unquote like man who wants to be a woman who must be crazy because we've just experienced the the life of a cis woman and how terrible it is and then it just creates all these horrible dichotomies about like gay men hate 
cis women, trans women hate cis women, cis women should be suspicious of trans women because, or cis women should be suspicious of gay men and not just straight men, that like all, like there are no men who are exceptional to this. And let's be clear, this character is a man. Like these are the things that are like constantly being repeated in the messaging of this character. All of this being said, it is transphobic. And yet, <laughs> this the, the, I'll call it the tucking scene, the musical number that occurs, is like one of honestly like one of the most profound images in media of the performance of gender that I've ever seen. It is drag. It is drag, and it's also like it's meant to be monstrous. It's meant to be absurd. It's meant to be scary because this woman is like crying in a pit for her life in the background. Meanwhile, Buffalo Bill is like putting on some lip gloss and a little shawl moment and dancing around the room. Meanwhile, slaying. And in 2022, I'm like, no, this is it. This is the absurdity of the performance of femininity. And it's also an accurately queer experience like an accurately queer thing that I am witnessing and so what I struggle with is like this is written by a cisgender man directed by a cisgender man played by a cisgender man and yet I'm viewing something that like feels authentic to queer experience and like having to reckon with that and also that queerness is being villainized and made grotesque and made something that like cis women should fear that scene reminds me a lot of the scene in the love witch where her friend, I don't remember her friend's name, goes into her room and is in her vanity and is like trying on her makeup and trying on her jewelry and performing a level of fem. She's already a cis woman. She's already a feminine woman. And even she is doing a performance of hyper femininity in an attempt to like succeed at womanhood. And meanwhile, there's, you know, we've got Clarice as a character who we've already talked about is dressing down because of the position that she's in and is actively trying perhaps to be gender neutral in the spaces that she's in or not be perceived all the time as a woman. And yet gender is like asserted onto her all the time by everybody she's around. She cannot escape womanhood if she wanted to. And that is juxtaposed with how much work Buffalo Bill is going to, to get the body of a woman to be a woman, it feels deranged. And by that, I'm like, that is not transness. That is insanity that you were like literally feeling the need to cut people's skin off of their skin and make it your skin. And it's the same thing that Hannibal does. He cuts off that man's face to be him for a moment, to transform for a second. It's literally like a miniature skin suit and one of the best scenes one of the best plot twists in cinema Incredible like ever. Incredible plot twist. But then there's other types of transformation that have nothing to do with gender. And if the movie wasn't so gender focused, I would say that this is not a trans character at all. This is somebody who's fixated with transformation, the transformation of insects, the transformation of animals, the transformation of themselves into literally anything else. Like in this case, it's a woman, but Hannibal's arguing it's just about transformation. But then like, how can we talk about transformation and look at such a clearly queer character and not assume them to be trans. It's a small win that they make that distinction between insanity and transness and violence. Like it is a somewhat progressive take in the early 90s. But then Hannibal Lecter is like very adamant that Buffalo Bill's not a trans woman and that his motivation is purely about changing himself. And you said like, he's obsessed with transformation, with the insects, with the moths and the butterflies. Like 
I don't think that necessarily negates his queerness because that sense of transformation and fluidity and moving between forms is obviously extremely queer. So I feel like it doesn't necessarily take away from a trans or generally queer reading. But I do think it's an interesting like detail and that it's just about changing himself or the root of self-hatred. In a way, maybe that's like a simplistic psychological profile, like childhood trauma, self-hatred. That's why he wants to change himself. But then because like, the whole performative nature of his character. He literally sashays away from her when she pulls out the gun in the, the house, like like in that initial confrontation happens, literally throws his arms away and like shuffles. It's uncomfortable, like recognizing so many of the potentially authentic queer experiences within that character in, in this film, knowing it's not the intention of the filmmaker, but it's also like damaging. That's the case of so many films that deal with these these issues. I feel like there's always going to be overlap between something that is represented in a monstrous way and whether it rings true for those audiences. I may feel the way about Buffalo Bill the way that some Black men feel about Candyman. In that, like, I recognize that you have made a villain out of, like, the thing that I identify with. And yet, that villain is giving. Speaking to what we were saying about femininity, I think going after the senator's daughter is like adds like a layer of class to it. Like going after someone who's so high profile, so wealthy, has all these layers of protection from a parent that uh, we later learn that they didn't have because they did come from an abusive background. They have a parent who's willing to go above and beyond to ensure their safety. She's wealthy, conventionally attractive. Like, men don't necessarily want those things from women. Men typically, when they want things from women, they take them. But women are much more insidious when we want things for other women. Like, we'll psychologically undermine them or be, like, secretly jealous from the shadows. Or, in this case, literally put on their skin to be them. And I think that scene where Hannibal is, like, taking on the other person's face is such a, a fool to this one. Because him putting on, like, another man's face in the killer wanting to make a suit out of women's skin is like a parallel that I think makes the character more explicitly aligning with being trans. Because when Hannibal does it, there's no sense that it would be queer at all. So there is a distinctive difference between when Hannibal does it and when Bill does it. So I think in that way, they kind of like shoot themselves in the foot because I think they don't really want to accept the character from that lens. I think when you make something, sometimes you have like a very specific vision in your mind of how everyone is going to see it and they don't see it that way. That doesn't necessarily mean that all those interpretations are invalid. It just means like there's a million ways to interpret something and it's fine. Like everyone's going to have a different read on something. When I saw this when I was much younger, like the first time I saw this when I was like seven or eight, I didn't understand the movie. But when I saw this as a teenager, like a sleepover, I had a very different read of it. Ty, what read would you get as an eight-year-old? First of all, I was a very smart eight-year-old. Like, ah, this is a Butlerian breakdown of uh, gender performance. I knew I liked Hannibal and Buffalo Bill, even as a child. I remember watching it and being like, oh, hell yeah, this is entertainment. I'm picturing Taya with like a monocle as like an eight-year-old. I was listening to a podcast episode and it was a bloody disgusting podcast called Horror Queers with Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman. And it was featuring a guest, Raina Cervantes. And they had like a really great discussion about like the transphobia and this transphobic legacy of this film and some really interesting insights. 
And they kind of encapsulated like how I feel about it, which is like, this is one of my favorite films, but there is a kind of like guilt that I feel for it being there because it is such like, it is such the queer monstrosity, if not even for the transphobic element, which it is especially, but I also mean just in general, like it's homophobic because Bill is said to have a relationship with a man and that they were lovers and it was a queer relationship. So like in no way would this be like not queer monstrosity. I also think that like whenever I'm looking at older media, there's just always some part of like the identity and the problems that like have to just be swallowed. You know what I mean? Like either it's race or it's sexism. And in this case, it's queerness and specifically it's like transness. And I feel bad for enjoying the film as much as I do for like the other reasons that we've we can mention and have talked about and will talk about. As like on this podcast, the hosts were talking about, they were like, it's uncomfortable to enjoy it as a non-trans person because you have the privilege to have not been affected by like the cultural ripple that this caused for like trans people and like it's problematic representation and the fact that it was um, trans women have said like people quoted Buffalo Bill like as a reason for like why they shouldn't be allowed to exist. So this was like damaging. And let's remember, as I discussed on this podcast, that this was a Academy Award winning film. Like, it was in the mainstream. This was some of folks' only access to, like, what transness would look like. And so it's horrible that that, that this is, like, that, that that transness features in it in such a negative way and, a mon- like, made monstrous, associated with mental illness and violence. Like, even if they have that, like, little disclaimer, which isn't really a disclaimer, it does not hold up under scrutiny at all. Very flimsy. But even with that, like, the film is so confused in its depiction of transness because as we've talked about, it's cisgender people, like, original, like, author and then, like, people working on the film who are writing and saying, like, oh, well, if we say it's not a trans character, then it's not a trans character. But, like, that doesn't hold up because you've written such a queer, at the very least, queer character. You know what I mean? Like, gender-bending, trans woman, a gay man, either one of these things, like, so on, according to IMBD, um, Ted Levine, in order to kind of get into character, even said that because build cross-dresses, they went to a few trans bars and interviewed like some patrons there. So like there is like this obvious queerness to this performance. And uh, Jonathan Dem, to be fair to his credit, like has tried to address it unlike other directors. But yeah, and he basically said, and I quote him. Buffalo Bill's real name is uh, James Gum, apparently, which I didn't know. But he said, well, James Gum isn't gay. And this is my directional failing in making The Silence of the Lambs. That I didn't find ways to emphasize the fact that Gum wasn't gay. But more importantly, that his whole thing is that Hector's profile on Gum was that he was someone who was terribly abused as a child. And as a result of the abuse he suffered as a child, had extreme self-loathing and whose life had become a series of efforts not to be himself anymore. The idea is that by turning himself into a female, then surely Gum can feel like he has escaped himself. He's not a traditional cross-dresser, transgender person, or drag queen. The various labels that respectfully come up for people who do love to don the clothing of the opposite gender. So Gum is not gay, but there is a reference to homosexual experience that he had, which is attributed to the quest. He's like, he fucks men, but he's not gay. Yeah, come on, guys. And not a trans woman. Then what is the deal? Are you telling me this is a straight man i struggle with either of those labels for that person (laughs) either straight or man and it's like i feel like so gaslit that every single person who watched it straight gay queer or otherwise read that character as queer everybody read it wrong and there was no intent in the direction or the acting to make it that way i don't buy it not even a wee bit there is something to be said also about like a lot of queer people 
obviously hating this character and like that character having like caused like real life harm and then a lot of queer people not identifying with the character but like loving it a little bit or like seeing themselves in it or like reveling in that like performance of gender villain or otherwise like there's so many drag performances inspired by buffalo bill and like i i don't know there has to there has to be like something in that performance that it inspires that in people and i don't think it's like an uncommon thing like some people are obviously really disgusted by it because it is a horror scene there is horror happening as all of this occurs and the intent is to evoke fear mainstream conversations are about like i'm not letting my child go to xyz bathroom and like obviously this is a man who wants to do x to women or like all of that like extremely turfy discourse like comes from things like this and I feel like that's undeniable but I wonder how much of that has been like internalized also by the queer community as like yeah I'm seeing something monstrous but is that inauthentic like I feel like a monster I like I people treat me like a monster almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point because like yes we have other depictions of trans women now but also, this is still one of the most famous movies of all time. Like, it's stuck now. It's in the zeitgeist. We're not gonna, like, no amount of quote-unquote good representation is going to undo it. So, like, embracing it is also, like, a kind of subversive. I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that, like, e- there were protests at the year that this, the Academy Awards, the year this was, like, on from the LGBT plus community, mostly to do with the homosexual emphasis because homophobia emphasis, not a transphobia emphasis, because, you know, the queer community is problematic and doesn't like to rally for trans people and it likes to forget the T off of LGBT. Nevertheless, that does mean that like mass amount of the queer community, even at the time, was like, this is gay. Jodie Foster was even outed and like apparently I got that from this podcast I listened to that I mentioned before, Horror Queers, but apparently she was like outed as well by like several publications, which were like, aren't you like a closeted lesbian why would you allow this film to fly not that i think like queer people are responsible for like all the media but yeah so like it was definitely like known that this character is queer and i do think that this is a similar situation that we had tonight around elm street where they're like no he's not gay it's for x y and z and it's like okay you're telling me that this character is not a gay man not a trans woman not a queer person but it's just not in the script like <laughs> No amount of like that kind of retrospective being like, oh, that wasn't our intention. Like it wasn't your intention, but it's how Ted Levine played it. It's how the character's written. Also, Mila, I wanted to go back to what you said earlier about like the the idea of like the doctor's diagnosis that you want to change your identity is a queer thing. I also didn't discount God, it's harmful on so many levels because A, I don't think that all queer people hate themselves, not at all. But equally, I can see why people be so offended that about that diagnosis be, or that rationale behind the dismissal of the fact that Bill could be trans. Because I was like, yeah, but isn't that like one of the things like you you dislike the self that you're being forced to live or the self that you're being forced to perform and you want to embrace the other? It doesn't mean that all queer people hate themselves. It might just be the hate, the pressures on them or something, which could be interpreted as hating yourself or hating your identity or one change. So I was like, yeah, it, that was crazy that that was the basis for why their transness was denied and their gender affirming surgery was denied to them. Um, I just wanted to circle back and make that point. But yeah, I think this film is certainly, you're right, Zeba, it's in the cultural zeitgeist. And my kind of position on these films where they do have horrendous elements is just kind of just to talk about them, really. Like, I can't can't undo the damage and I still like the film for other things that it did well like it does cis feminism really well but it sucks that it is 
trans misogynistic and transphobic such a well done film otherwise that's the thing about it is it's like i don't know if i can give it that because at the core it's a movie about womanhood or like being a woman and with that in mind i'm like if that's the thesis that you're presenting me i'm not going to give you a pass but if the thesis is just about like pathologies and it's like like a, a genuine psychological thriller in that way and it's just supposed to like excite me and like surprise me and make me think a lot about these characters just that it's a character study great excellent film a plus but if you're telling me that like by the end i'm supposed to understand something new about being a woman you have not passed at all you made me have my queer eureka so i'll give bonus points for that going back to you quoted the director's reasoning for like Buffalo Bill's reason for wanting to change into a woman is, is like escaping himself, which feels distinctly cis male. The idea to him that becoming a woman is like becoming another fucking species. What are you transcending to another plane of existence? I kind of have a similar take to you, Zabo, where it's like it exists and it sucks, but like because it exists and it sucks and they can't really change it, I just expect better from current media. And to be fair, like the tucking dancing scene is iconic. So I kind of agree in that way. I'm not giving it a pass because I'm not, I don't identify as trans or non-binary, but I think it's like a situation where so much in queer history, we've had to like accept like the queer monstrosity of a situation or of a media. And this is just like one of those instances. And like so much of horror is made out of gender, like right down to psycho. And I think this film was almost kind of worse because it didn't link it to a Freudian situation, if that makes sense. Like, damn, y'all didn't even try to make it his mom's fault. There's not really a psychosexual, like, Freudian eatable reading of this, which is why this film, more so than other serial killer media, is so bad for transphobia. Because, like, not that those ones aren't bad. They are. However, I just mean, like, it's so obvious in those ones that it is a deranged man. Whereas this is like, no, you, you gave us a seemingly pretty authentic trans woman, whether you would try to do or not. And then you're, like, trying to say, like, so that's why I think this one stands out as, like, a particularly bad on that front but that being said like I don't know I think there are other elements in it that make me enjoy it and I think it's just a matter of we talk about it and we talk about how we can do better and what it did wrong and maybe if there's anything you can get out of it like if we can and then we move love your suit love your suit <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>